0: Hi, this is Panel Beater and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Facebook page.
1: Good morning, radiotherapists. It's time to prepare for your latest dose of radiotherapy. I'm Dr. Doolittle, and we have a lot to discuss this morning. Joining us in the studio is Cameron Solnordel. You might know Cameron as one of the stars of the SBS show, How Mad Are You?, where he went public with his diagnosis of schizophrenia. He joins us today to talk about what it's like to have schizophrenia and the work he does as a peer ambassador for SANE Australia. And on the panel this morning, we have Cyber Sue, a nurse with her passion for the digital world. Cyber Sue has been on holidays riding a motorbike and she thinks it improved her health. Well, I'm a bit suspicious to say the least, but we'll give her a fair hearing. And of course, the panel beater, the intelligent underbelly of radiotherapy. Now I still dispute whether intelligence has a place in healthcare, but he's here now, so I guess I'll hold my cynical opinions and I'll just listen for a change. Today he continues his theme of exploring self-help, and this week's this week he's got his sights set on stoicism of all things. I'm intrigued. Anyway, let's get this show on the road starting with the news.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R, or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
1: Okay, radio therapist, g'day all. Let's start with you, Cyber Sue. How are you?
3: Well, apart from my cold, I am excellent.
1: We're going to get to your yep. motorbikes in one second. Let's yep. say g'day to Cameron. Good morning. Thanks for coming to the studio. Is this a long hike for you? A little bit.
4: We're just trekking over from sort of uh, Elstonwick area. So ah. we've, just, uh, we've just packed up and moved there recently, got ourselves, uh, oh. got ourselves a nice big fat mortgage and uh, we're, oh, we're getting, getting stuck into it. I just... Uh, Got a message that uh, yet another box of Ikea arrived. <laughs>
2: and,
1: uh, so we've got the afternoon for that. Oh, I, I think I mentioned this recently. I moved recently and made the mistake of ordering something from one of those companies, the same one. And, uh, you know, anticipated, I could only take half an hour. And literally six hours later, I finished putting together two some bedside t- you know, drawers. Yeah. It's just yeah, yeah. almost killed me. And the panel beater. Top of the morning to you. The intelligent to all underbelly. Of you. Yeah, intelligent <laughs> underbelly. Is that a good thing? Well, I put it there, but you know, I just I honestly sometimes I go to work in the healthcare industry and I really wonder whether intelligence has a place. And so that's why, you know. But you're you're a, you're a you're a consciousness. You're a, you're the sentience of radiotherapy. <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
2: oh. I see what you did there. Oh,
1: <laughs> we just had a big fight about the importance of sentience oh, in the ground. There wasn't room. a fight. There was no blood. there was no rumble yet. <laughs> yeah, but we are taking time out till after it. Hey, look, rather than news as such, I want to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the motorbike. So let's just jump straight into that uh, side of so Okay, cool. Tell so, us, what's, yeah. why have you got your sights set on motorbikes and healthcare?
3: Well, I mean, I guess I got into motorbike riding again about five or six years ago when I heard a um, psychiatrist actually on the radio, Joe Dunn, talking about his little group called Sights on Bikes, got me back onto the motorbike. And I've just come back from being away for 10 days and went down to the snowy snowy mountains and then New, New South Wales coast and everything. Had a great ride with my dad, who's yep. 78 and rides motorbikes still.
1: He a lifelong rider?
3: He's a lifelong rider, yeah. And, um, and a few other friends, one who drove 1,800 k's down from Rockhampton. And um, it kind of made me think about how good it feels when you're on a bike and how it's just a real time out and... Um, you just a, just a very relaxing time, and it kind of made me think: Why is it that more people aren't riding motorbikes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean, we all know that. Can we do data. a survey first? Yeah, go,
1: Cameron. Are you a motorbike rider at all? I've never ridden a uh, motorbike. The uh, the
4: closest I got to riding bike motorbike was a very old book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle. Uh-huh. Oh, oh yes. yeah, I think yes. about
1: that book regularly. I read that as a teenager yeah, too, yeah. and yeah. just. You know, it's it's such a cool book.
4: Yeah, it was, and and I was quite young when when I first read it, and uh, it got handed down through my brothers, through my dad, and what have you, and they said, yeah, you just you got to check this out, and Mm. I I didn't quite understand all the concepts at the time, but it was it was a fascinating read. But uh, I have never ridden a motorbike. Look it Yet. up, people, if you've yes. never yes. read it. Yes. yes, yes. What about you, panel beta? I have
0: uh, ridden um, a few times. I don't have a, a licence to speak of at the moment. Um, <laughs> Who needs licences? Um a public health warning. Please get a licence. <laughs> but more importantly, um, I've watched Easy Rider lots.
2: Oh,
1: another uh, classic. I saw that for the first time. Oh. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Nice, yeah. and I'm a scooter rider. Yay! And so it's interesting. So in this little group, I'm the majority almost as a female, whereas riding motorbikes, very few are women. Twelve percent of license holders are women, and I would say when I'm on the road that I'd see a lot less than that as women riding on the road.
1: But hasn't it increased heaps though? I'm I think surprised. It has. You know, from my early yeah. days, you know, in when when in the, when I was in my twenties, which of course is only a couple of years ago, thirty, um, <laughs> it uh, it was as rare as hen's teeth. Whereas now. It seems there's a lot more, but it still doesn't surprise me what you say.
3: Yeah. And it's interesting because, um, you know, we know that it's high risk and we know that, um, you know, people die, et cetera, et cetera. Um-
0: <laughs> Die, et cetera? <laughs> What? <laughs> Believing it? <laughs> Do they
1: go to heaven or not? Is that the et cetera? Well, if they're motivated, by
3: It's a small detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, you know, there was, this, um, there was this Japanese neuroscientist who did a, um, he did, it was just a small study and it's, I, I don't think it's a strong study, but it does reflect on my experience he did he had 22 people in the study and he had some of them assigned to riding a bike regularly for two months in a group that didn't and within that group he did notice that there was an increase in cognitive function from the need to process thoughts respond quickly and um and um you know be reactive on the motorbike and i
1: that's just not enough people, though. I'm going, no, to, ta- I'm going to take it's that not. as what would it's they not. say if it was on Q and A? I'm going to take that as yeah. a, an opinion. It's, it's an opinion. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. A- a- yeah. Absolute. I absolutely agree. From my point of view, I guess that um, I find it's a it's almost like a mind. I kind of reflect it compare it to mindfulness in some respects. When you're in a car, when you're on a train or public transport, you've got your um, headphones on or you're talking to people or you're listening to music and you've got these constant distractions, you're thinking about work and everything else. When you're on a bike, you're there. And um, I really like that, I really like that. Ability to focus on where you are now, and especially when you're on a big long ride, and I find that's really good for me.
0: So, I was to kind of just check from a position of ignorance <laughs> is putting headphones in while you're riding illegal no. or just not advised?
3: No, and so I mean, plenty of people do, and plenty of people have their. I mean, when I, I, I would be. Um, uh, Being a little bit dishonest to say that I don't use the headset when I'm doing my daily commute to work and back and I know the route and it's the same every single day and I use my Bluetooth and I use my phone. Um, And it's not illegal because you're not touching the handset. Um, Yeah. But on the bigger rides, I definitely don't do that because I want to be present. You know, it's funny,
1: though. You know, again, this is a personal opinion. I, I. Personally, I just feel so much more nervous on a push bike or my yes. mo- scooter yes. if I've got anything in my ears. Yeah. I just find it distracts me, yeah. and I find one of my most important things, probably even more so on the bike, is the ability to hear stuff. Mm. You know, because I find the biggest risks, especially a turning corner, stuff like that, and you've constantly got to be looking over your shoulders and hearing cars and motorbikes. Uh, I, I, I just feel I feel unsafe when I've got in the car. I have yeah. no problem yeah. with music going, but I don't like it on the bike or the motor the scooter I think for
0: the for the same reason that you're pointing out is one of the reasons why I like it when I'm on my pushy because if I'm playing music while I'm on the deadly treadly um, it actually uh, works as a motivator like I'll, I'll, I'll ride to the beat but for that exact same reason when I used to have a car I used to drive you know the Great Ocean Road type drives. Yeah, um, I would often find myself listening to music, and I'd be speeding up. And if I wasn't paying attention, I'd be driving to the speed of the music I was listening <laughs> to. And sometimes that music was pretty fast. I knew that, and running. I had to
1: catch myself. I, I run on the beach, and I find I know, and walk too, and I'm always doing it to the beat. Yeah, right. There's something yeah. relaxing about that. I mm. like, but I find even this is stupid. But I find even when I'm doing things like the dishes. Like I've got music on. Wow, you know, speed I, dish I do it. Yeah. No, well, I do it to the beat. Like I'll put the dishes in the rack. You know, damn, the dish goes in the rack, and the next one get what? Anyway, I'm an idiot. Let's go. Keep going. Can I ask you just to? Because I think the biggest thing. I, I think most people can see entirely what you're talking about in the beauty of being on a bike and being in the moment and being focused. Because you're forced to focus, unlike your mind drifting mm. when you're doing lots of other mm. um, transport-related um, activities. The big thing people are gonna ask though is but what about all the accidents? Is it overblown? I because I, I, I sort of suspect people are gonna hate this, but I suspect it is a little bit overblown all the I, dangers of moving. I
3: don't I don't I agree with you, um, because um, when you do look at the data of the according to the AIHW
1: which sounds important, Australian Institute of something health rhetoric? and welfare. Health I and it is. Welfare, is
3: it? yeah. And in 2016, they looked at hospitalisations, and of that, 19% of road-related. Accidents and hospitalizations and nineteen percent of those were cyclists.
1: Cyclists, yep. yeah. And
3: I agree. My experience is that cyclists, I find it more dangerous on a push bike than on a motorbike. Personally, partly because of lack of equipment and lack of ability to escape. And of
1: course, cars have heaps more crashes, but they're far yeah. safer because they've got. That's you know, right. And ninety percent of
3: accidents are cars. So you're looking at, let's say, roughly speaking, twenty percent cyclists, twenty percent cars, and then twenty four percent were pedestrians. So people walking <laughs> yep. on the street, um, hospitalised, and of those, only just under three percent were motorbikes Uh for the hospitalizations the
1: problem of course is motorbikes relatively rare what are they sort of i know i know that what are the tips to safe motorbiking
3: well i mean again in my experience and um, the data shows that fatigue can be a big cause of accidents and um, i think people well recognize now that um, fatigue can be related to blood alcohol content and the impact it can have on your ability to pay attention um experience um so of the, in the data it shows that people um the accident rate was a lot lot higher along among people who had ridden less than once a week so your weekend riders who are out without that experience of daily commuting so drive a car a week suddenly you jump on your bike and you go on a big fast ride in the country and you don't have the skills or experience that's Um,
1: always an interesting one for me too and i get that because the less you ride the less your reflexes are tuned into riding yet on the other hand i find one of the most important things safety wise is choosing the transport for the occasion you know, so yeah. what I mean by that, long trips, car. So you get a limousine to the station, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I'm in the luxurious position of having a car as well. Because, you know, well, I yes. live in the country, essentially, yeah. in Rye. Um, so, you know, it's the car to Rye. It's the um, scooter for anything in a city. Mm. Mid-distance, like visiting mates in Glen mm-hmm. Iris. Mm. Normally car for comfort and, or a sunny day, definitely bike. And, you know, rain, car every time.
3: And it depends. Of course, it depends on your your purpose. I mean, for me, um, I know that when I'm uh, when it's a rainy day, and I, I get a text from mum, and we still have mum caring for us at any old age, saying. Um, I hope you're not on the bike today. But for me, I don't want to be on a train with a bunch of other people sick and with colds breathing all over me. I want to be on the motorbike where I can control it. I don't want to be in a car when I'm stuck in that traffic and not yep. able to go everywhere in the bad weather. So,
4: and I'm sure there's a lot of yeah. personality associated with the bikes. I mean, you have a huge chopper where you have the hands right up there or you have your nice fast Mitsubishi I'm assuming that's
1: a you know but I think another thing that I never read about but strikes me as obvious is the type of bike the Mm. more powerful the fast because a lot of um, accidents are in intersections and a lot of them Mm. are taking off fast or going through at the last second into an intersection as Mm. it's turning you know Mm. to amber and so um so uh Um, I think that's a factor. But I also think like the scooter, I think, you know, it's got a 150cc motor. It's a lot slower. You're sitting very upright, so you've got incredible vision. A lot of those like your Ducatis, you're leaning so far forward that your neck Cannot physically move to the same degree. You can't look. I can look 180 degrees either way. Yep. There's no way leaning forward on a Ducati you can. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and so I think a lot of it's the actual mechanics of the bike. But I've never seen a study to back that up. So feel free to yell at Bush. Well, out I mean,
3: they do. They do talk about the types of bikes that accidents are on. I mean, my argument would always be a bigger bike. You can get away. You can get out of danger quicker. And so, uh, motorbike riders and scooter riders will have that argument forever. But
1: a scooter can still beat a Porsche. You know, because of the yeah. white, even though it's 150cc, no one... You know, you, I take off at the lights and and I don't, like, fly off, but no one's within... 50, no one's even close to me because, you know, they're so light, you, you beat the traffic. And as a consequence, you're constantly driving by yourself. And that's the beauty of you pass everyone at the traffic lights while they're stopped, not while they're moving. And then when you drive forward, there's no cars next to you, which is, mm-hmm. again, a huge and, danger. And,
3: and I mean, looking at my little piece of data here, Steve, yep. you are, sorry, you are actually correct that only 10% of accidents were scooters. Right. Yeah, of yeah. motorbike accidents. 73% were road bikes and 15% were trail bikes.
1: So there's one for the scooter riders yeah, out there. Yay,
3: scooter yeah. riders. Quadrophenia, yeah, at least. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry to let you all down, non-scooter riders.
4: And I've got a question. Are, are bikes moving into... Into the same direction as cars, with like, are they moving into all electric? Is Elon Musk gonna drop, a, <laughs> dro- drop an electric yeah. motorbike at some point? Well,
3: I mean, there are more um, electric bikes coming out. I mean, yeah. We, yeah. we see electric bikes around more everywhere, and more. yeah,
1: especially in various places in Asia, too. You see them everywhere, yeah. and also the same as that, they're moving like cars with safety, like you know, your modern. Even your modern scooter has ABS brakes, um, yeah. you know, all those sorts of fe- features that cars have, about, you know, to try and make them safer and safer. Yeah. Touchscreen with ludicrous mode. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and,
3: and, and helmets that, um, obviously not in Australia, but helmets that are like airbags that can then zap yeah. over the head and then you can still keep your hair nice, which is a plug for... Oh, my God, guys, we're almost like in me. Tron. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: so we're gonna go uh we're gonna go thumbs up that we think there are health benefits even though um there's pros and cons and uh people argue over the evidence
3: but get get more women on the on bikes too yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah. well they're better for the environment i mean still push bikes cycles uh, even better still but uh thank you we thank you for uh, giving us that update and did you have a good holiday by the way i had a tremendous holiday
3: yeah and um yeah Bring on more holidays. Nice. It yeah, so was, was a great ride. Yeah, it was. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. And part of it was actually a um, fundraiser ride for um, Childhood uh, Cancer, Stephen Walter Foundation. Um, they do an annual ride in the Snow Mountains. And next year is their last ride ever. They've been raised They've raised something like uh, $8 million over the last 20 years. Oh. But now government's committed 600 million over the next period of time. They're building a new dedicated centre. Oh, I saw that. I saw the media release about that. Yeah. And so the rides um, next year is the last of these annual rides. Say the name of it again so people can get on board. Yeah, the Stephen Walter Snowy Mountains ride.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, Hit up rrr.org.au to find out how.
1: Well, I'm Dr Doolittle. In the studio this morning, we have the panel beater. We have cyber CyberSoup. And we have a special guest, Cameron Solnordal. Cameron is a peer ambassador at SANE Australia. He's lived with a diagnosis of schizophrenia for over 18 years. He also recently helped EveryMind rewrite the National Communications Charter. This was done to create a unified approach and promote a common language in mental health, mental illness and suicide. He is also a photographer and has recently completed his first novel and is a stay-at-home dad. He's a jack-of-all-trades. And we've already said g'day, but let's say g'day again. Cameron, how are you? Good morning. I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? We should kick it off with the obvious because we're on a TV show together.
4: Yes, yes, we were. That was a cracker, wasn't it? That yeah, was a lot this is
1: um, just to put it in context. It's a show called "How Mad Are You?" on that was on SBS. It was on. It was released in Mental Health Week a year <laughs> ago. Two-part doco um, about uh, with about you know there was ten people on it, five with a lived experience of mental illness and five without. And there was this panel of experts: a professor of psychiatry, a professor of psychology, and a really super senior psych nurse looking at all the footage, trying to figure out who um, didn't didn't. I was the host of the show. Yeah, and. Um, um, and Cameron was one of the people on it. Um, we had a ball making it, didn't we? <laughs>
4: yeah. It was it was a crazy week. Talk, uh, talking about shared trauma, and uh, there was there was a, there was a lot that we were put through. I mean the the opening uh, the opening challenge, and I think that yeah. was day one. Within within two hours of us being there, we uh, we were all put in a room, and um, wandering through the doorway was was uh, Captain Mikey Robbins, and uh, the first and as soon as he walked in. As soon as he walked in, it, it just went straight through my head. They're going to make us do stand-up comedy. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I pretty much looked like just like a porcelain cup at that point. All the blood just rushed out of me. And the thing was is that that's fine. They'll say, okay, over the course of the week, we're going we're gonna to give you this challenge. And so, No, 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 you're doing it in six hours
1: and we went to a pub that night (laughs) it was like so sudden like like, because i was being instructed in the second two i didn't have any advanced one i was like not prepared i knew what all the tests were because i'd helped choose them and i'd help i had done you know helped with the production so i had done you know helped pick people for the show helped with choosing the tests and which ones had any real link to sort of trying to distinguish mental illness from no mental illness and so i knew it but i was like told okay You you can't give them any warning. Just go out there and say, hi, introduce yourself and say, now please walk through that door. And it was just like bang. And then that night we're in a local pub with a genuine audience who were just basically the audience. They thought we were stand-up comedians doing our first gig. And it was quite amazing. And the gist of the whole show was um, no matter how expert you are, you cannot distinguish one person from another who doesn't doesn't have mental illness. And you got to see the experts constantly, you know, over-interpreting stuff and missing stuff and, And the experts were incredibly brave because every expert's the same. This show's been done before in England, exactly the same result. And
4: generally, this is not how you would diagnose someone with a a mental health issue. Yeah, uh,
1: but but of course, that wasn't meant to be the point. The point was people stigmatise people based on, you know, like their impressions of what, certain things mean, like what schizophrenia means. And the reality is, unless someone tells you what's wrong with them, you've got no bloody idea. Yeah,
4: you can be walking down the street. There was a a beautiful article that was written, I think this is about a year ago, and it was referring to Halloween. And it was saying, if you want to uh, dress up as a mental illness, this is what you look like. And some smart person had taken this carbon copy stock image of people sitting in a corporate office, and they said, so if you want to dress up like a person with schizophrenia, this is what they look like. Just look like a person in corporate office. If you want to do manic depression, this is what it looks like. Person in corporate office. was the same image over and over, and it says just like you were saying, they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea. And this has been one of the most most challenging things to try and get across. That as soon as you hear the word schizophrenia,
1: the defences go up.
0: Yeah. You guys reminded me of the Rosenhan um, experiment. That's me- what
1: it was based on. Oh, it was based That's on
0: where on the, the show came from. Yeah. Right. So. For people who aren't maybe not familiar with it, it's uh, it was an experiment at Stanford uh, by this professor of psychiatry, psychology, um, Professor Rosenhan. And he got a bunch of um, uh, undergrad students, I think, or maybe graduate students, yep. but certainly students, and got them all to self-admit yep. into mental institutions. Yep. Um, clearly, they were, quote-unquote, uh, well. Um, and they... Uh, would then
1: then just simply by that self-labelling were, yeah, all were they treated. Did, so he got a, i forget how many. It was about 10. Some mm. were students. Some were his friends. There was one or two psychiatrists among them, and all they did was they were instructed to go there and say, I heard a sound in my head. I'm not sure if it was a voice or a noise. Yep. And and virtually everyone got admitted and na nearly all got diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um that some of them had real trouble getting out and they were told to answer every question normally and say you no longer hear it from the moment you're admitted. Yep. And it changed mental health because sure it just showed mm. how much of what we do yeah. um, how much of what we do is prone to Biased thinking,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. and a, and a deinstitutionalization was was perhaps a major outcome. Yeah.
4: yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. The 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 first day, day one, two thousand one, when I was given my diagnosis, yeah. I went to the same place that every single person would. I yeah. went to the same stereotypes that I've been brought up with. We have no recorded history in our family of of any complex mental health issue at all, and uh, and it was it was just. It was just everything we we assumed. I assumed that I was going to wind up in a very stereotypical position. Wow! But that's yeah. that's eighteen years ago. Can
0: you it's... tell us a little bit about that period just before diagnosis? Was yeah. your sense from the doctors and other professionals that you were um, meeting with? Yeah. Was there um, a reluctance to ultimately reach that diagnosis? Was like it? Was there a checklist that people were ruling out a whole lot of things, or was that the go-to diagnosis?
4: I was. I was. Uh, diagnosed in the absolute stereotype of my mid-20s and the thing is is that we went full medical we we went to our gp gp then forwarded us to a psychiatrist and the process went from there where my headspace was at at the time was that um a lot of my symptoms that 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 ultimately triggered the breakdown were very stereotypical of there was a lot of paranoia there but a lot of people misconstrue paranoia as a complete fabrication. The best way I could describe it is a hypersensitivity to something that had already happened. Right. So, say for example, you know, every day you you, you spot a dodgy person on the street and they threaten you every morning. Hypothetically, then you suddenly become so hypersensitive to it that you start seeing that dodgy person on the street everywhere, and yep. that's where you get a definition of paranoia. So, what I was going through was a lot of uh, there was there was some difficulties at work to put it very mildly. Um, prior to that there had been a lot of difficulties at school to put it very mildly and uh, so I had my brain had rewired into a into a state of paranoia and that was what ultimately triggered the psychosis at school
0: were you just like considered a disruptive student
4: I was I was the the furthest from the disruptive students were the ones that were attacking me so everyone goes through bullying at school you go through you know 10 days three months but go for seven years and uh your cognition tends to get a little bit hardwired differently yeah. so uh, so I just you know i, I was uh, I was much younger you know there was there was a lot of stuff happens factors that that contributed to that there was no you know great big Great big one thing. It was just a culmination of a lot of things that uh, that triggered my psychosis. But um, you know that that ultimately moved into the realm of schizophrenia when uh, when more and more things just weren't able to be dealt with. I didn't I didn't get the pruning done. I, in in mm. cognitively, I didn't get the pruning done, and it just kept on going. So I mean, look, that's a very light way to describe it. I mean, I can get as deep as you want. <laughs> but um, but the 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 simple way of people asking me now is, "What is schizophrenia?" And I had this almost as revelation about two weeks ago talking about it. And we remember up on the, the big sign above the Peter Mac saying making cancer history.
2: Yeah. Yep. Can we remember that yep. sign.
4: And when you instantly see it, you have two definitions. We are making history with cancer research or we are making cancer history. In other words we're eradicating cancer. To give a little bit of an idea of when you're triggering psychosis, imagine that there was 15 different definitions of that statement. Mm-hmm. But the problem is is that when you move into a realm of definition which is completely unrelated to anything that is in reality that's when you're starting to move into psychosis now the thing is is that that can also be emotional that can also be visualizations which people do have horrific visualizations of that all of a sudden they might see that sign drop on a thousand people and that's a hallucination suddenly you suddenly think you're predicting the future because it was so It was so real when you saw it. It looked like it actually happened. But that is where psychosis comes into it, when you can no longer be in that realm of subjectivity with a definition where it actually moves way out of the realm, and that's where my head was at. And with medication, my head still goes to that place, but now I control it.
1: Do you see any upside to schizophrenia and the reason I ask that is there's an upside to say depression for example um you know people are more creative when they're depressed they uh tend to work you know there's there's research you know this mostly depression is a horrible shit thing etc etc but there's upsides to it do you see a similar thing with um schizophrenia I wouldn't want and
4: this is this is after 18 years I wouldn't want to hand hand it back Mm -hmm. because where it's taken me now that I'm managed, mm. you know, now that I'm managed, yep. it, it it has taken my head to to some pretty amazing places. Yep. Creativity, you know, that that's that what a I was huge. Yeah, one. That,
1: that's the one that you read about the most, and, and I've seen yeah, that in you. You know, having known you for a while, you're obviously you know, I, you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm pumping no, you up, right. but you're obviously a smart guy. You know, you write ru- you write stuff. You're a peer ambassador, etc., etc. Yep. But um, you have the ability to uh, bring in lots of things that people would say yeah, out of the box, or What's that phrase that I'm trying to think of? Out of the square, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean. Yep. Um, do you think schizophrenia adds to that or is that just you? Would that be you regardless?
4: Let's let's look at it from a positive and negative aspect. We'll start with the negative. Let's do that. And the negative side of it is is that if it's not maintained and it's not regulated and it's not, and I'm apologies for being reductionist, medicated, then the positive sides do do recede into the background a lot because... As 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 good and as positive and as creative I want to be, that's just not how the universe works. Yeah. There is dark and there is light. And so my brain can go quite negative. Um, but my ability to disregard that has taken a long time to do. For some people, they can bounce back a lot better and they can turn it into positive, creative, constructive thinking. And that's where my head is at now. I hope, I hope that sort of answers the question, really. Yeah. It, it, I see the positive now that I would... I would be able to do a lot of things with it.
0: How often do you find yourself, say with your writing, um, but any other um, creative endeavour or just the way you might think about through a problem that you're facing or whatever, how often do you put down where you uh, land on solving a problem or being creative to the schizophrenia compared to wondering whether that's how others experience who may not be diagnosed?
4: schizophrenia is an aspect of my brain but it's not my brain yeah Mm. does it so it's not that i have that you have two brains one brain is a schizophrenic brain one brain is not the 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 brain it's it's a it's an (laughs) add-on it's it's like a little add-on to to the brain that says okay what this is going to do is that it's going to it's going to shake things up a bit Mm. remember boggle Yes. Remember yeah. You yeah, used yeah. to hit the damn dice and you used to shatter around. Let's <laughs> let's imagine that that in a when when stress has exacerbated my illness, there's a little auto button on the boggle box and yeah. it's just shaking everything around a bit. Yep. Now that confuses me and it can sometimes it, it can sometimes create difficulties in in thinking. And look, the the stereotypical trigger is absolutely stress. That is a big one. Wow. Um but I can maintain it and I can I can look after it now. And, you know, my wife will be the first to tell me, you know, you, you're overthinking this, you're getting a bit too stressed. You know, it's, it, it's, it happens sometimes I'm caught up in the middle of it, but it, I'm not dysfunctional as a result anymore.
3: Cameron, Dr. Doolittle just said just now that you are a peer ambassador
4: for Sane. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? A peer ambassador for Sane shares their lived experience on yeah. on uh, on their 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 history of what they have. Sane Australia is a not for profit that mm. that uh, I hope a lot of people are are, are hearing about. And uh, we we deal with uh, the low prevalence disorders like mm-hmm. schizophrenia, mm-hmm. bipolar, that kind of thing, and. Um, as a peer ambassador, um, people approach saying and say we would love someone to come and talk about their experiences right. of you know getting back to work with a complex mental health mm. issue, or um, you know getting back to school, getting back to study and education with a complex so mental health
3: issue. So do you work one on one with people, or do you go? And like Sometimes, this? Yeah. yeah.
4: Sometimes people uh, people want to talk about it one on one. Quite often, mm. the uh, the the peer ambassador group, someone. Um, that, that uh, has a specific uh, experience set can go and talk to you know, 20, 30, 40 people for you know, 20, 30 minutes at a
1: time. Hey, while we're on SANE, yeah. they're doing a big project at the moment that's worth doing a shout-out there on oh, their national, what's it awesome. called, the National... The national Stigma Report Card. <laughs> yes, it what is, is
4: it? our turn to speak. Yeah. So right. what this stigma report card is doing is we are a national survey that wants to understand the that better understand the experiences of people Mm. living with complex mental health issues in Australia. (coughs) Excuse me. Mm. And so there are experiences across mass media, relationships, Mm. community groups, justice, finance. You know, have you experienced stigma trying to get a bank loan? You know, have have Mm. you experienced stigma, you know, trying to get back to school, trying to get a job? I certainly know that I have. And what we're doing is we're looking at 1% of this population that have a complex mental health issue. So approximately 690 to 700,000 people in Australia, live with complex mental health issues, and so we're trying to get seven thousand okay. people to come and do the survey.
1: And and what and it's I, I had a quick look. It's online. It yep. Takes about half an hour. Yep. Okay. It's yeah. um it's super legit. It's done in conjunction yeah. with Melbourne University, Dr Chris Group. Yeah. Came on board. Funded by a big mm. group. Um, yeah. there's all the consent process, and it's about a half an hour. Or you can do it by telephone. I saw. You can do it you by phone. You can in if you, you can don't want call to use up. A They have
4: they have people. They have an actual call center of people who are doing it by the phone. If you have difficulty mm. getting to a to a to a Screen. So it's ourturntospeak.com.au and uh, there are some preliminary questions, like you have to be over 18 to do it, that is mm-hmm. one of the prerequisites. There are some preliminary questions but if you have experienced these complex mental health issues, get online, have your say because this this is done by this was done by people and put together with people who have lived experience.
1: So it is our turn to have a say. And, and the just, other yeah. shout out that I reckon you should do, because I know you also work with another place that I love called the Dax Centre. Yeah. The Dax Centre is, uh, oh, you're probably better off to describe it, but I first saw it as a student over 32 years ago. I went for a tour there um, because Eric Cunningham, Dax Centre, set up this um, art collection for people who had experienced mental illness. Tell us about your role there and what's going on.
4: Look, I'm uh, I'm on the board of the DAX Center, and uh, they they have just opened this. This is this is an awesome one. When we were we had our last board meeting at the DAX Center, and so they have this new exhibition called the Formation Exhibition, and this is done with the DAX Center and Arts Access Victoria, and so what this is looking at this is looking at. The emergence of a person's inner world with a, with a lived experience, and so it's bringing together like the the artist's own thoughts and feelings are brought into form, so inspiring just people to have a dialogue about the human experience. And it was opened officially by um by the uh, parliamentary parliamentary secretary uh, Harriet Shing last week, and it it's just it's just a beautiful exhibition. I'm-
1: and when can people go there? You know, uh, how do they? The, the
4: Dax Center is open. I believe it's uh, from from Wednesday, Thursday, Friday next week.
1: Yeah, um, and you can always just jump online and have a look and head. It's yep. a, it's a, it's in the it's in what's the building called? The Brain Center or something? Anyway, it's at Melbourne University. Look it yep. up. We have our annual Christmas parties there, so I should know where the heck it is. And, the, and it's but, a beautiful place.
4: And that's the thing. The Dax Center also they you you, you can support the Dax Center. Uh, you can book an education session for your school or your community group. You can go in there and actually book a session, and they will take you through and talk about the people's lived experience and come and have a look at it it's, it's just
1: awesome hey I'm going to wind up the interview because I don't want to cut short our stoicism and necks but yeah. um, you know I've already worded you up to be a regular on the show next year uh, and after the show I'm going to twist your arm a little bit more um, <laughs> I would love to but um, uh, thanks for that. And you're staying on for the next part anyway. Yeah. Um, you're listening to Radiotherapy Gang. On Dr. Doolittle. We've got the panel beater. We've got Cyber Sue. You might wonder why Cyber Sue was a bit quiet during that. She had to pop out because she, <laughs> she got a terrible cough and had a coughing fit. And I'm glad you managed to drink some water and get back in. Thanks, Cameron. Um, we're going to go to a few quick announcements. Then we're going to come back and talk about self-help
2: and its, its relationship to stoicism. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform.
1: And Panel Be has been doing this theme all year around self-help. And today's got his head in stoicism.
0: Yeah. Well, in the sense that um, stoicism has become a, a significant, notable trend in the self help industry. It's turned into, as uh, you know, effectively a genre of self help. And so that's what caught my eye. Um, and, you know, from a radiotherapy point of view, there's not just the self help aspect that we're interested in. You know, radiotherapy from time to time has talked about um, the talk therapies, most yep. specifically cognitive behavioural therapy. And stoicism has a lot in common with. Can you tell CBT.
1: us off the top what stoicism is?
0: Yeah, yeah. So stoicism. Um If you don't mind, can I do cognitive behavioural therapy first? Yeah, you go in your
2: order. I just
1: just thought that your head was so in it that you were going to forget to tell us what it is. And, you know, guys like me, we're dopey old bastards, (laughs) and I have to look it up.
0: The reason I want to mention um, cognitive behavioural therapy first is that I think that will segue us in neatly into how similar it is to this ancient thing called stoicism. So cognitive behavioural therapy, many people, I'm sure, listening, have been exposed to it in one way. Or another, either themselves or somebody that they know. It's a very prevalent um, therapy for people dealing with things like um, um, depression and anxiety, eating disorders, um, stress, um, uh, addictions, and so on. And it's you know gained its prevalence certainly through the '90s, but I think you can trace it back to um, uh, Aaron Beck and Albert Ellis in the in 50s. the '80s.
1: Uh, fifties? Oh, oh, sorry, you got it. Yeah. yeah. But the uh, first maybe. sort of stuff came from behaviourism in the fifty, an attempt to get us out of this black box mentality yeah. of the brain, we don't understand it, and, you know, to... Anyway, anyway, and then the groove and the and cognitive bits added onto the behavioural bits, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So you're quite right. It comes from behavioural sciences, which um, certainly predates the 80s. Um, but the cognitive, but the linking of the cognitive and the behavioural yeah. is is from the um, 80s. And this is what distinguishes it from you know psychotherapy. And Doolittle, You, um, you're our expert here on that front. But. Um, um, so whereas cognitive behavioral psychology wants to link how um, we're thinking about things and how that thinking about things translates into our behavior um, and um, it's it's very um, practice orientated yep. you know there's there's a set of guidelines um, you can speak to the psycho the, to contrast to say with psychotherapy
1: um, although which, just which... just for the record because there'll be some strings listening they'll be getting there they're all psychotherapies so psychotherapy means talk therapy and what most people think of psychotherapy is what we call insight-oriented psychotherapies. The idea that your past influences your presence, largely it's Freudian stuff, and what we do today reflects what we've done in the past and so we look at that whereas cognitive behavior therapies basically say cognitions which is simply thoughts thoughts and behaviors and emotions are linked and if you influence behaviors and influence thoughts you can change emotions feelings aren't permanent you can change them through altering these other things and it's very homework very practice very keep a diary etc etc very different sorts of therapy one you're lying in the room you're reflective the therapist is saying very little the other one the therapist is there saying how did this go how did that go what happened when you um you had your agoraphobia and you walk to the letterbox, did you practice your breathing? What was your score? That's the basic difference.
0: Yeah, and so cognitive behavioural, as as we've said a couple of times now, is the is the link between the cognitive and the behavioural. Whereas um, the psychoanalytical is um, looking into the unconscious or you know the past or the yeah. untapped past. Um, so there's a distinction to be made there, um, and it's it's very action orientated. So this is that's the foundational attributes. And and um, I, ch- I checked out a bit of literature from um, Frontiers in Psychiatry. Is that that's a journal you probably have on your bedside table? Is <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, is that I have. Right? I have journals everywhere, everywhere at home, yeah. every,
1: everywhere I walk, <laughs> journals and, um, everywhere, I make a cup of tea, look at a journal.
0: And so this article, <laughs> these, these researchers were making claims that um, although it's flawed and it, there's a lot of work to be done to keep improving CBT, um, nevertheless it's um, a talk therapy gold standard. Um, it's the most researched and they they base that claim on three main attributes. It's the most researched form of psychotherapy. Um, No other form of psychotherapy has been shown to be systematically superior to um, CBT and that's the evidence based aspect of it and that the CBT theoretical models and mechanisms um, have been researched extensively across cultures and and so on.
1: Although as someone who likes to be critical of my own profession that's a very generous description. Yeah and and, and, and it might have been the most researched but it the research ain't all positive. But anyway, let's not... We won't get too caught up on that.
0: And, and uh, as I mentioned, that's what the author said at the start. Despite needing a lot of work to be done and its flaws, um, they, they're still pointing to that as the best of a whole lot of other options. Yep. Um, so there's the foundational aspect of it. Um, and that leads us into um, a consideration of what was um, traditional Stoicism. And I'm saying traditional now to make a distinction, but I'll shortly talk about it as modern Stoicism. So traditional Stoicism had its heyday um, way back um, uh, in the you know Greek and Roman times, um, and um, in fact traces it back to um, uh, Roman emperors, among others,
3: like Zero for example. I read. Zero
0: of Crete. Yeah. he 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 was the first dude, um, and then later Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, um, and um, um, Epictetus was
1: the other one, the third one. They're big so guys great to make Hey <laughs> you still got to tell us What stoicism is I'm I'm. I'm trying <laughs> to <I> get there
4: <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, this is quite ironically what stoicism is. Yeah, know. that's right. Just,
0: I'm just rolling with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't control Steve, so it, <laughs> I'll leave Station. it to Doodle. Uh, too doodle? I can't control Doodle. It's out of my control. Um, and and so it had its its height of influence um, uh, just before. Well, it declined with the decline of um, the Greek and Roman uh, authorities. And at the rise of Christianity, that also had uh, something to do with it. Now, that timing matters for talking about modern Stoicism because many people are linking the rise and the trend in interest in Stoicism now with that decline of the um, imperial Rome and Greece um, of that time. As people become less confident in those who rule them, um, Stoicism, uh, one of its techniques, is to return to the individual you know, and the individual says, "Well, I can't control the world around me, um, so I need to understand what um, I can control, and just give priority to dealing with that." And so, there's a common ground with cognitive behavioural therapy. So, um, CBT will um, exercise you through a range of steps where you're. You deal with self-talk, you know, you you check in with the way that you um, view the world and perceive the world. And, um, you know, you deal with cognitive biases and confirmation biases and so on. Um, And um, in CBT, you then check those biases and you um, move back from them and go back to, you know, is there any reason to those those biases same with stoic philosophy just by way of example i picked out three particular quotes that are really kind of sum up what the stoics were getting at um so uh epictetus a quote from epictetus men are disturbed not by things but the views they take of them You know, in other words, how we interpret interpret it. Yep. Um, Seneca um, said, uh, we need to reflect upon every possibility and to fortify ourselves against whatever hardships may come about. Run through them in your mind. Exile, torture, war, shipwreck, you know, worst case scenario type stuff. If we do this regularly, we can minimize our fear of life's misfortunes and prepare to face them. Right. Prepare
3: so for it, the worst.
1: Prepare for the worst. Hope for the best. So right. is it different to the traditional meaning then of it's being sort of like um, enduring pain and hardship without displaying emotions? So, yeah, but there's some aspect of
0: stoicism which is like that or, the you know, say the, the British stiff upper lip kind of point of view. that's what I'm the, trying to figure
1: it's out. It's like the keep
4: yeah. calm, carry on. Thing. Keep calm, yeah. carry on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's got that. And then just one last one from Marcus Aurelius. Think of yourself as dead. You have lived your life. Now take, take what's left and live it properly, right? Um, so the point out of those three um, that I yeah. want to make in terms yeah. of the self-help industry is it's a really um, big contrast to self-help, which is all about optimism, yeah, you know, mm. and and projecting, you know, wake up in the morning, and what you should do is stand in the in front of the mirror and say a bunch of affirmations and uh, smile, you know, mm. and just the act of smiling will make you feel better, right? Um, Stoicism is far from that.
3: So it's kind of like being more real.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with those,
4: sorry, keep going. Sorry, Cameron. Keep going.
0: Um, So with those attributes, it raises the question, why is it so popular now and who's it popular with? And it is extremely popular. I did a a, a quick um, um, exercise with my Google fingers and you can find any number of Facebook groups um, for stoicism. Um, The Reddit um, page is full of different uh, subreddits for it. There are email lists. There are um, websites. And um, and the publishing industry is having a field day with it. One of the biggest bestsellers in self-help last year was a book by Rowan um, Ryan Holiday called The Daily Stoic. Um, so it's 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 huge. I'll return to that in a second. Um, one, some of the other attributes that um, might point to why uh, stoicism is, is so popular in the self-help industry now is it's sympathetic or it can be worked with other trends like mindfulness trend and the trend in gratitude, um, you know, where mm, you have I've a gratitude that. day. You just mm. be thankful for what you've got. And you know, the Stoics talk about we've got, we've got it within all of us to be happy with just who we are. If we, if we choose to think of things that way. Um, and the other, you know, self-help trend is the voluntary discomfort. You know, you may have heard of trends around um, cold water showers or, mm, you know, cold water bars baths, ice baths yeah. and things like that. Um, it's, its audience, though, is interesting. And I think this is also something about our times. Um, its audience seems to be largely through... Well, not largely. It's a wide audience, but it comes... It's a very Silicon Valley-type um, trend, um, who are very prone to adopting trends um, from one time or another, um, and in the business industry, it's also very, very gendered. All right? blokes. Blokes. It's very so. When I was looking at um, these Facebook groups or the Reddit, um, overwhelmingly, just anecdotally, if people mm. were using their real name, overwhelmingly male, and I wonder what that's about um, as a um, as a self help
3: guide. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au.
1: What do you want to wind up with on this panel, Peter, on the
0: Stoicism? Well, just off air, um, Cameron, I think, made a really interesting point, and, uh, a point that I had down as a note, but I think you really expressed it Look, really uh, clearly. Look,
4: what I was observing is, is with the idea of Stoicism is that you were saying that it was a trend taking off in Silicon mm. Valley at the moment, and the, the actual emotion behind following this idea of Stoicism seems like an almost an, an antagonistic... Uh, way of approaching the current emotional connectivity of of the U.S. government at the moment, and this is a generalisation that you have such a hyper emotional, hyper connected, you know, hyper uh, emotional state that people are sort of like, well, we've taken ourselves through this, we, we we don't really need to do that anymore. Let's let's get on with the job and and stop parading
1: ourselves around a bit. I think there's something to that. Uh, that's a good note to end it on. Hey, uh, thank you everyone for listening. You've been listening to Radiotherapy. Special thanks to Cameron Sol Norton. Thank so you just for having him, um yeah. Peer Ambassador from SANE Australia, also Director at uh, the DAC Centre, and uh, for coming in and talking about uh, oh, everything you talked about this morning, all your work, your experience of schizophrenia, just fantastic stuff.
0: Hi. This is Panel Beater. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Therapy, a weekly radio show dedicated to health, medicine and well-being. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Feel free to get in touch with us via Radio
2: Therapy's Facebook page.